coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. I want to start the show by speaking with Georgia Equality Executive Director Jeff Graham. Jeff, thanks for uh, giving us some time today. I appreciate that. I know you've been super busy this week. Absolutely, Ron. Happy to be here. So uh, we uh, we caught up uh, in communication because, well, obviously the uh, the uh, the SB one forty bill that's uh, targeting uh, gender affirming care for trans youth, uh, a hot button topic, and on crossover day. For those who don't know, uh, the the crossover day you know, colloquialism in Georgia, you've got two chambers, both working on separate bills. And if the bills cross over, that gives them a greater chance of actually being signed into law. So SB 140, Senate Bill 140 was uh, concocted. Uh, I believe it was uh, David Dolezal from uh, from Forsyth County, uh, Cumming, Georgia, who uh, crafted this bill. And it, it basically targets the sort of gender affirming care that trans youth desperately need but the right's trying to outlaw. So we wanted to get with Georgia Equality Executive Director Jeff Graham to talk about that. And I got to tell you, Jeff, we had uh, Sally Harrell on yesterday, Senator Sally Harrell, who Wonderful. I know you know gave an impassioned plea uh, on the Senate floor for this and, and last year when it came to uh, participation in sports as well. So we, we've been on this issue, but what is the latest? Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you asked, and certainly uh, Senator Harrell may have mentioned some of this. I, I'm going to start with the good news so that we can then kind of focus in on where we are and what's going to happen over the next three weeks. Good. So the good news is that we actually had a total of four anti-LGBT bills that were filed um, this year. So uh, we had uh, SB 88, which uh, was a version of a Don't Say Gay bill that really restricted conversations around specifically gender identity uh, in, in, the, in, in schools. We had uh, the introduction of a Religious Freedom Restoration Act bill uh, that uh, would have created a license to discriminate uh, against all sorts of people, but uh, specifically targeted at LGBTQ Georgians and those that live in the 13 municipalities where a comprehensive non-discrimination ordinance exists. Mm. And then the last one was uh, Senate Bill 141. Now, 141 was a comprehensive ban on all forms of gender-affirming care for minors under the age of 18. Mm. So that was a very dangerous bill very similar to the sorts of bills that have been passing into law around the country. Mm -hmm. Those three bills, none of the three of them made it through crossover day. So uh, technically all three of those bills are now dead. Uh, we will continue to monitor very closely because the language from those bills could be added to another bill late in the session as it works its way back and forth between the two chambers. So mm -hmm. we're not completely out of the woods on any of that, uh, but it's a it's a very good sign uh, that none of those three bills actually even came out of committee uh, and uh, much less were, were heard on the Senate floor. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to, then to Senate Bill 140. This is a dangerous bill. It's not a good bill. But the first thing that people need to know is that it only limits two types of gender-affirming care. So 
uh, for transgender folks, for uh, certainly transgender youth, and most importantly, for the providers and the parents. Uh, I want them to, to know that there's some limitations to this bill, uh, just so that they um, won't be as panicked as, as what has happened in, in other places. So it would prohibit surgeries, um, and it would prohibit the prescription of hormone replacement therapy for minors. Um, around hormone replacement therapy, the current version does have a grandfather clause in there. So anyone who is currently receiving hormone replacement therapy, should this bill be signed into law, would not be affected. Mm. So I want to start with all the kind of good and, and, and <laughs> not as catastrophic news with that. No, I, I like that because I don't, I don't want us to feel like we're an alarmist organization here on the yeah. show or on America One Radio. Yeah, I, I don't want to be Tucker Carlson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Ron. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and like I said, it's, it's not that it's a good bill. We're still going to be fighting this. Um, I'm going to talk about those reasons in a minute, but with everything around the country, um, I just want folks to, to, to really have the facts of what we're battling here in Georgia. Okay. Um, so uh, with that said, uh, Senate Bill 140 is still not a, a, a good bill, and uh, Georgia Equality and our allies, and we have a lot of allies fighting this bill with us, um, I all believe that there should not be any sort of infringement on the rights of parents to work with medical providers who are following broadly accepted evidence-based standards of care in making medical decisions for their children. Full stop, period. This is almost it like an abortion be- discussion, right? I mean, it's the parallels yeah, are... Actually, in some ways, the parallels are, are certainly there. Um, and, and, you know, we feel very strongly that, that that statement is something that I hope would resonate with everyone and would resonate with all parents and all medical providers. And then folks need to understand gender dysphoria should not be singled out for special treatment as a medical condition. Um, it should be treated like any other medical issue that children and families are, are working through. There is no scientific merit for this bill. There is no reason to restrict a doctor and a parent in making these medical decisions. Uh, this is a an extremist overreach, extremist government overreach to stigma, stigmatize and harm transgender folks. Um, is there also a little bit of disinformation going on? It's almost as if this conversation is happening uh, without the knowledge that there already are standards in place, you know, the, it's, in fact, Senator Harrell brought up WPATH yesterday, that there are already standards in place that most medical professionals adhere to already. Yeah, that is actually, it's it's been very frustrating that um, uh, the fact that there are medical standards in place uh, have, have not gotten uh, better coverage, have not been thoroughly discussed in the committee hearings um, where this where this bill was brought up. Um, and people need to understand, just like any other field of medicine, um, these standards of care are vetted, reviewed, and changed over time. In fact, last fall, the eighth version 
of standards of care for uh, gender dysphoria or for gender affirming care was released by the World Professional Association of Transgender Health. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and in, in addition to just WPATH that sets these standards, they are recognized and supported by the American Medical Association, mm -hmm. the Endocrinologists Association, the Psychologists Association, uh, the Pediatrics Association. So across the board, all legitimate major medical associations support these standards of care. So yes, there's a lot of misinformation uh, that, that and, and intentionally gets said that belittles these standards of care or make it sound as though these standards of care are somehow risky or untested. Um, and that's just not the case. Or don't exist at all. Or don't exist at all. Yeah, that's, that is exactly uh, the, the, the biggest fallacy or biggest piece of misinformation is to just not recognize that these standards of care exist in the first place. We are on with Jeff Graham, the executive director of George Equality. We're talking about uh, anti-trans legislation, uh, Senate Bill 140, now crossing over to the House of Representatives. Uh, Jeff, what I, I know maybe you are, maybe you're not a betting man. Uh, what do you think the odds are that this that this bill even makes it out of the House and, and lands at the governor's desk? Uh, you know, I, I, I try not to be a betting man. Um, I really, uh, in this supercharged political environment, anything could happen. But I do want folks to take a little bit of comfort uh, in the fact that one, the House as a body, um, here in Georgia, uh, has a very different approach to many social issues, but very specifically a kind of a history of being far more moderate mm. when it comes to LGBTQ issues. Um, the margins between re a Republican majority and a Democratic minority are much closer in the House than the Senate. Um, there are a number of Republicans in the House that have uh, championed LGBT issues, such as uh, the passage of the hate crime law a few years ago, uh, that came from, from the House. Mm. Um, and there have been a number of uh, efforts to advance various forms of discrimination in the House in the past that, frankly, have just never even come out of committee. So we are not taking anything for granted. Um, uh, we're not saying that this is a, a fight that is over by any stretch of the imagination. But I do want folks to understand that um, uh, things happened in a certain way in the Senate that were very frustrating and angering to a lot of folks. Uh, we do anticipate that we will have a very different reception to this bill now that it's in the House of Representatives. Well, th th those all sound very, uh, very positive uh, breadcrumbs, nonetheless. But uh, as you said, we'll all be watching this uh, as as is possible. Um, while I've got a couple more minutes with you here, uh, I wanted to uh, ask you uh, to weigh in a little bit on the school voucher uh, uh, bill, if you would, too, because there's there's some built-in discrimination potential there as well, right? Well, there, there, there certainly is. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, we, we have not been paying as much attention to the voucher mm -hmm. uh, bill uh, as we have with, with these others that are highly discriminatory. Mm -hmm. But there was a study that uh, at, at this point now, it's, it's several years old. Um, but nonetheless, I, I don't think that the data has changed much. And it showed that the, the, the problem at that point in time, it was with the scholarship programs, which are kind of vouchers light, mm. um, uh, a way to, to, to divert 
uh, state funding to um, to private schools. And unfortunately, um, you know, a far too many private schools have policies in place that actively discriminate against LGBT kids or LGBTQ families. And so, um, you know, certainly the, the challenges around vouchers that we are fully on board with as an organization, that they divert funding from public schools, that they're very problematic across the board, especially this voucher bill with such a high uh, limit of $6,000 per student. Um, but at the end of the day, the real LGBT-specific concern is that this is then using state dollars to, to support discriminatory practices. And that is just something that uh, I don't feel is ever appropriate, uh, that our tax dollars be used to actively discriminate against us in any way. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So we're on with Jeff Graham from Georgia Equality. Thanks for hanging over the break real quick. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, the school voucher bill. We talked about the, uh, the anti-trans legislation uh, that's uh, looking to block gender-affirming care for trans youth. I want to ask you, while I got a few more minutes with you, Jeff, um, your thoughts on the Tennessee drag bill what is going on up yonder as they say yeah you know it is it is just a a, a shameful piece of legislation ron i first and foremost want to remind everybody that uh, we have not seen any language that would ban drag performances here in georgia even kind of debated or talked about uh, here in georgia so that doesn't mean that, that it won't pop up at some point in the future but right. again i want folks to just understand uh, that that's not yet a debate here in georgia but that said you know first of all i feel for my colleagues at tennessee equality project um i hope your listeners will will send them some love uh they have just had a, a really horrible fight on their hands mm. specifically this year and, and and they're a good organization doing their best to try to hold this hatred at bay but it basically criminalizes drag performances if there is any chance that that minors will, will be around it's a very broad bill uh it has serious implications and frankly it, to just start with it is uh, a strong infringement upon the first amendment right um uh, and 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 i and i do hope and believe that there will be a really strong legal challenge uh to this uh now that it has been signed into law but more than that i i think it's just indicative of the political environment that the LGBTQ community finds itself in at this point in time, um, that uh, there are political forces at work across the country, unfortunately, that are really trying to attack our community in so many ways. Uh, I think it's safe to say, and hopefully most of your listeners will understand, there's a long history. Frankly, there's a long history of drag just yeah. Uh, in Western society right. anyway. Right. Um, it's been a part of theater. It's been an art form for eons. But specifically within the uh, LGBTQ communities, you know, drag performers have been some of our frontline warriors yep. for decades. They were there uh, at the Stonewall riots. They were mm -hmm. there on the forefront of every movement for political change. In the early days 
of the AIDS crisis. Yep. They were the ones that were raising funds. They were the ones that were holding people's hands. They were the ones that were willing to be out in front to protect our community. Yep. And I think now's the time that our community needs to recognize this and be there to protect and support drag queens um, and, and really see that this is not just a frivolous, bizarre issue. It really is how serious these attacks on everything are, whether it is bans on gender affirming care, uh, drag queens, uh, restrictions on uh, how uh, our lives are talked about uh, in the public sphere. Um, they're coming at us in a very ferocious way. And um, I'm old enough to know that this is not the first time we've had this, but it's the first time in, in, in quite a while that this level of hatred has been spewed at the LGBTQ community. And I hope folks really take the time wherever you live to be engaged, to get connected with your local state equality group, as well as so many of the national organizations that work in this sphere as well, to be aware of what's going on in your own local community, to get involved in speaking to your lawmakers, your faith communities, and your families about why this is wrong. And then at the end of the day, we've ultimately got to, to remember this at the ballot box mm. and make sure we are showing up to vote and push back against this hatred. So, uh, not again, not to be alarmist, but this isn't uh, where Tennessee is banning drag shows at bars and clubs. This is just any performance where a minor might be present. But that does include things like uh, pride parades and festivals. Absolutely. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, the drag queen story hour that the, the folks like to point to. I mean, heaven forbid an adult uh, want to read to kids. It is, it is a way to really si silence and erase us. And it is an attempt to restrict how kids learn about the LGBT community, interact with the LGBT community. It is such a serious attack in Tennessee, but let's not forget, you know, in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was home of, of the of the don't say gay. That uh, you know, we're about to see legislation in Florida that um, the state can come in and and take kids away from parents if those parents are uh, supportive of their gender identity or supportive of their sexual orientation. So this is this is a real scary, dangerous time. And, and it really is an effort to try to erase us from public life and shove us back into the closet. And people need to be aware that, that this is going on in so many places. And for me, the most fearful thing is that the fallback used to be, well, if, if we have to, we'll take this to the courts. But we have a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court majority. Yeah. That's not even close. You know, whereas a 5-4 before, you felt like you had the occasional John Roberts act of sensibility. 6-3 makes things very difficult to fight in court. That is that is definitely true. I mean, we've, we've got a big court case that uh, they will be ruling on later this year. The 303 Creative um, case uh, it was heard in October. I think a lot of people missed it because that's when uh, so much of the election uh, uh, stuff was, was going on around the country. But, but this case is yet another uh, case uh, to try to restrict, um, uh, provide broad religious exemptions in non-discrimination laws. And, and this, I think, shows the real hypocrisy of this issue, that uh, these conservative folks went forward saying that uh, in this instance, it was a website 
designer um, who right. specializes in wedding websites, that she uh, should be able to exempt herself out of uh, having to follow Colorado's uh, non-discrimination law that, uh, that protects sexual orientation and gender identity, amongst other characteristics, uh, based upon her First Amendment right and her creative uh, expression. Uh, yet these same forces are now attacking and criminalizing people for their creative expression. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a real scary time, uh, and and we'll we'll see when when that case uh, is uh, is ruled upon uh, probably in 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 late May or or sometime in June uh, exactly the extent uh, of of how far this this current Supreme Court is going to go to erode our our rights. Jeff Graham, I appreciate your time. Jeff Graham, Executive Director of Georgia Equality. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and on the front lines fighting these battles for us. I appreciate your time, friend. Thanks, Ron. Absolutely. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Man, oh man, Tucker Carlson is in the news for all the wrong reasons anymore. Am I right? How, do you, how does this guy keep a job? Trust me, as someone who worked in the broadcast industry and got fired plenty, um, it, it's part of the job. Uh, I just don't understand how someone like Tucker Carlson maintains a job after all that has been exposed about him, not just through the Dominion voting lawsuit, but just sheer hypocrisy in general. You would think at some point in time, an audience would get wiser and say, this guy's a con man. Time to move on. But we're talking about the same base of viewers that adhered to Bill O'Reilly and Glenn Beck and Laura Ingraham and smarmy Sean Hannity. So I guess, of course, the quizzical-faced Tucker Carlson shouldn't get any different treatment, right? But oh my gosh, you got to think now that MAGA viewership, which I think has already been eroding a bit from the Fox News uh, base, heading over to OANN and uh, Newsmax, uh, that the latest text messages (laughs) that have been revealed emanating from Tucker Carlson about their anointed savior, Donald Trump, you got to think that this is going to be like the, the 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 last straw for some of these folks, right? <laughs> First of all, even Senate Republicans have been going after Tucker Carlson after his uh, reckless and fake claims that the January 6th insurrection was really more about a sightseeing <laughs> misadventure. Carlson went on the air and uh, then slammed folks like uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for, quote, living in splendor on Chinese money. Um, he kind of upped the ante a little bit on the recklessness by saying people need to, quote, keep a list of politicians that oppose him, that oppose Tucker Carlson. Now, of course, the same night that he's doing this, um, we learned a lot from a Washington Post release uh, of a story revealing Tucker Carlson's private text. According to the report, Just released yesterday, digital communications in the $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox News by Dominion Voting 
show a lot more of that behind-the-scenes bantering going on in the days and weeks after Donald Trump lost the 2020 election to President Joe Biden. Now, we don't know who all these texts were sent to, but we do know that they came from Tucker Carlson. One of them being, we are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I really, I'm sorry, he says, I truly can't wait. I hate him passionately. Well, that's got a sting. Has anybody gone on a Truth Social to see what Donald said? Oh, so Carlson hates Donald Trump passionately? So Carlson's been running a lot of, you know, interference these days, kind of tiptoeing and dancing around the third rail of the whole Dominion voting systems defamation suit. Of course, you know, Fox isn't covering that much, (laughs) you know, by just saying that the elections weren't, quote, conducted correctly. A lot less about Dominion. Smart. But dude, you're text messaging someone talking about how much you hate Donald Trump passionately? Oh, I'm loving this. More, please. Okay, here's more. According to the Washington Post, David Clark, Senior Vice President for Weekend Shows, Weekend News and Programming for Fox News, I should say, testified in his deposition that he was responsible for overseeing Sunday morning f- uh, features with uh, Maria Bartiromo, asked whether he considered that show to be a, quote, credible source of news. Clark answered, I don't know. So uh, the story goes on to say, a Dominion lawyer followed up incredulously. You don't know, as the executive in charge of Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo, whether her show is a credible source of news? Clark replied, I'm going to answer the question, yes. (laughs) Clark went on to say that while he believes viewers tune into Sean Hannity's show because they see it as a credible source of news, Clark himself does not see it as such. Quote, it's an opinion show, he said. It's not a news show. He said the same of Tucker Carlson's show, testifying that while viewers see it as a credible source of news, Clark personally does not. Meanwhile, we did just check as of noon today, still nothing on Truth Social from Donald Trump aimed at or discussing Tucker Carlson's disdain for Donald Trump. I mean, it's got to be an awkward spot to be in, right? You need Fox News to win. And yet Fox News behind the scenes was talking about how much they hated you passionately. You can't win with just Newsmax and or O-A-N-N and Truth Social and the new army of Twitter trolls. You can't win with that throw-in talk, right? You can't win with that. You got to have Fox News. But, you know, the crazy thing is I was listening... And I do this, y'all. I listen to the other side. I like to hear what they're saying. I'm listening to Eric Erickson the other day, who occasionally will say something that won't be well-liked by the right, knowing that that's his base, but is the honest-to-God truth. Every once in a while, Eric Erickson will say something that you'll go, geez, you know he's right? Will his base listen to it? Don't know, but he's right. He was saying this, and I remember it vividly because I was leaving the Popeye's drive-thru. <laughs> I was just about to tear into my sandwich. Uh, he was saying, and I, I, nearly, I nearly choked. <laughs> he was saying that Republicans have to get away from just 
clinging to Fox News, that you can't just talk to Fox News. You can't win by insisting that the 2020 election was stolen, rigged, yada, yada, yada. Now, he was kind of tap dancing himself. He didn't necessarily say that the election was fair and square. They lost fair and square. Democrats won fair. He didn't say that, but he was basically telling conservatives, it's time to move on. Stop looking backwards. Stop trying to litigate 2020 and move ahead. And that you can't just rely on right-wing media. Well, holy hell, he's, by Jove, he's right. But I'm going to go back to something I've said time and time again. It's an interesting conundrum that conservative media finds itself in, right? Because conservative media, by and large, I mean, listen, there have always been conservative pundits and conservative newspaper columnists, uh, newspapers with conservative bents. But in the cable television era, and in this hyper-partisan era that I believe was sort of ushered in by the creation of Fox News and the end of the Fairness Doctrine, which just gave talk radio free reign to go full-on for the cash, knowing the audience and placating said audience, where, where conservative media is now, yeah, I mean, they, they follow the money. Rush Limbaugh showed them the way. Follow me and get the green. Showed them the way, but in the process, conservative media got so dependent on a base that they have spent so many years misinforming or underinforming or both that now they are beholden to the beast that they created. Donald Trump, I've said this, if I haven't said this half a dozen times by now, Donald Trump, uh, Sarah Palin, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, they are all products of conservative media misinformation or under-informing. I mean, it, it was all cool when it was just voters voting for politicians who actually knew better, but were just taking advantage of the situation. But all of a sudden, these ill-informed, poorly informed, or under-informed folks started running for office. And in Donald Trump's case, had the clout to win the presidency. Dog catches car. Fox News, talk radio, they caught the car. Breitbart, (laughs) they caught the car. Oh, crap. What are you going to do with it? And what you're seeing now is all of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Hate him passionately. Well, how does Tucker Carlson hate him passionately when he delivered, allegedly, so much? I mean, what was it that was... uh, Hang on, I'll find the tweet. There was something that was... Tucker Carlson was quoted basically in saying that Trump actually didn't deliver for them. I mean, I would disagree. I think a 6-3 Supreme Court majority, not that Trump did all of that, but he was certainly handed the opportunity and took full advantage, I'm sure, with handlers making sure he did so. But Tucker Carlson recently said, and I quote, we're all pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. But come on. There really isn't an upside to Trump. That was in a Fox email. Tucker Carlson saying that Trump's presidency 
was a disaster. Did he ever say that on Fox News? Of course not. And again, I find myself asking, at what point does this army of rubes finally see their fever break and awaken from this conservative disinformative coma that not only have they been gripped in, but our political discourse has been gripped in. See, I have a theory. What I fear is going to happen now is that there will be this movement, the OAN, the Newsmax folks, that points to Tucker Carlson's own words and Fox News executives and Rupert Murdoch's statements about the 2020 election and just further try to bring more of their base, the Fox News base, into their fold, and we'll just see a further radicalization of the right wing. It's crazy to me that we're watching this civil war happening right before our eyes in our time within the Republican Party, and yet the Republican Party still somehow manages to win every once in a while. And I'll hear from right-wingers, well, that just tells you how conservative this country is, that the people want what they want. No, that's not what it tells me. That's not what it tells anybody. They'll throw that map at you. Oh, look at all the red states. Look how red this country is. And then you throw back at them the, the electoral dots, you know, the, the, the red and blue dots that signify the, the amount of people. And they, they come to look at what's essentially a purple map. Like they can't, they can't buy that. No, look at the size of Montana, how red it is. There are more people in the county I live in, basically, than in the entire state of Montana. But they don't want to hear that. But that's just it. That, that explains to you the grip that conservative media still has on this country. And they're turning on the Mitch McConnells. My God, they just got rid of Liz Cheney, y'all. We were worried for Liz Cheney on the left because they were running her out on the right. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to feel bad because, because they're using racial slurs at Elaine Chow. This is where we are now. But this is also a note to Democrats. Y'all. It's time to work on your own contract for America. It's time to work on your bench. It's time to work on a vision for this country's future. And I think the Biden presidency is kind of sort of doing that quietly, but they're not they're not putting a whole lot of bunting on it, you know? There's not a whole lot of decoration to it. And I'm not saying he's got to get on a uh, an aircraft carrier with mission accomplished banner behind him, but a little more pomp, a little more circumstance would be nice. Show the vision that the party has for the country. The rural money that is being allocated to Trump strongholds. The manufacturing jobs returning in Trump strongholds. I mean, that can all bear fruit in the future, but can we not can we not shoot some fireworks off and hang some bunting on it and talk about it now too? 
This is an opportunity that the Democratic Party has to take advantage of. While the GOP is immersed in a civil war, let them fight amongst themselves. In the meanwhile, now is the opportunity for the Democratic Party to point to their cohesion, their unified message. I mean, six years ago, if you had told me that the Democratic Party would look more unified than the Republican Party, I would have laughed with my Bernie t-shirt on. But here we are. It's time to start flaunting that unification. But it's also time to start talking about a vision for this country that undoes all of what has set this country into the quagmire it's been in for the last four decades. Getting rid of trickle-down, funding education properly, making sure that health care is a human right, that college education is attainable for anybody who wants and needs it and has earned their place to get it, just for starters. Addressing climate change from an economic and pro-jobs bent. We're already doing that. We've got the governor of Georgia doing that. It's time to start pushing this message harder, folks, and let the conservatives destroy themselves from within. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Can't understate the importance of today's uh, Department of Justice findings and uh, Merrick Garland's statements in the aftermath of the Breonna Taylor killing at the hands of Louisville police officers as it pertains to the back-and-forth tug-of-war discussion about the future of an Atlanta police training facility in southwest DeKalb, a.k.a. Cop City. First of all, let me give you a taste of what Merrick Garland had to say. In 2020, LMPD officers shot and killed Brianna Taylor in her own home in the middle of the night. The officers were executing a search warrant but found no evidence of any crime. In a separate criminal case, we have charged that officers involved in obtaining the warrant knew that the affidavit that supported the warrant contained false and misleading information. Ms. Taylor's death brought immeasurable pain both to her family and to this community. In April 2021, our Civil Rights Division opened the pattern or practice investigation that I've just referenced. Shortly after we opened the investigation, an LMPD leader told the department, Brianna Taylor was a symptom of problems that we have had for years. The Justice Department's findings and the report that we are releasing today bear that out. The department has concluded that there is reasonable cause to believe that Louisville Metro and LMPD engaged in a pattern or practice of conduct that violates the First and Fourth Amendments of the Constitution. There is also reasonable cause to believe that they engage in conduct that violates Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Safe Streets Act, and the Americans with Disabilities Act. Specifically, the report finds that LMPD uses excessive force including unjustified neck restraints and the unreasonable use of police dogs and tasers, conduct searches based on invalid warrants, unlawfully executes warrants without knocking and announcing, unlawfully stops, searches, detains, and arrests people, 
unlawfully discriminates against black people in enforcement activities, mm. violates the rights of people engaged in protected speech, critical of policing, and along with Louisville Metro, discriminates against people with behavioral health disabilities when responding to them in crisis. The Justice Department has also identified deficiencies in LMPD's response to and investigation of domestic violence and sexual assault. LMPD has relied heavily on pretextual traffic stops in black neighborhoods. In these stops, officers use the pretense of making a stop for minor traffic offense in order to investigate for other crimes. Some officers have demonstrated disrespect for the people they are sworn to protect. Some have videotaped themselves throwing drinks at pedestrians from their cars, insulted people with disabilities, and called black people monkeys, animal, and boy. Wow. This conduct is unacceptable. It is heartbreaking. It erodes the community trust necessary for effective policing, and it is an affront to the vast majority of officers who put their lives on the line every day to serve Louisville with honor. Absolutely. And it is an affront to the people of Louisville who deserve better. You want to know why there's an aversion to militarizing your local police department for setting aside dozens of acres of land to train to be more militaristic if possible? When it only takes, I don't know, a hotel conference room to teach folks how to de-escalate a situation? Louisville, Kentucky, I mean, it's Kentucky. It's a red state. But Louisville's a pretty big city. And a little blue pocket in that sea of red. But police culture is, even in these little blue dots, a mostly conservative culture. Even officers of color found themselves beating a man who eventually died in Memphis, Tennessee, Tyree Nichols. And I'll pause to reiterate what Merrick Garland said, what we all know to be true. The overwhelming majority of those who work in police are fantastic, wonderful stewards of the community and their profession. It's those that aren't that have to be brought into the light and to justice and removed from the profession so that the profession itself benefits from the eradication of that poison. All right, that's a story we'll be following a lot more in the coming days. I'm sure there'll be repercussions and reverberations. It is International Women's Day. I cannot let this day go without acknowledging some important and inspiring women in history today. Uh, Selma Freyberg, born on this day in 1915, pursued a groundbreaking study of infant psychiatry and normal child development, and wrote The Magic Years, a classic translated into 10 language. Uh, Lilia Ann Abron, an entrepreneur and chemical engineer, born today in 1945. She was the first African-American woman to earn a doctorate in chemical engineering. And Monica Helms, a transgender activist, author, and veteran of the United States Navy. Wow. Born on this day in 1951, she was also the creator of the Trans Pride flag. I want to thank Jeff Graham for joining us earlier today on the show to discuss trans rights, the SB 140 bill that's aimed at limiting 
gender-affirming care for trans youth. I want to thank him for joining us earlier today. Uh, you can hear that in its entirety when I post this on the podcast platform. You can get all of those podcast links, whatever your preferred platform is, at ronshowatl.com. We're back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app and at americaoneradio.com. Happy International Women's Day. I will see you tomorrow. Have a good one.